Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter five. It's been a strange week in America, hasn't it? It's been a strange decade. Revelation 5. And as you're turning there, Lord, would you give us guidance today from your word? Thank you for what you've done in our lives individually, corporately. And uh, my prayer for myself and for everybody here is that this is not an academic exercise, that your word uh, is a lamp for our feet, a light. And uh, the world seems really dark right now. But your word is a light. And ask for you to shed that light on us uh, today. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 1, he says, and I saw, this is John, we remember we got a glimpse into heaven last week, the curtain is pulled back, and so this is the curtain open, and here we are, we're going to start looking at what he's, he's seeing. He has uh, entered the matrix, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, uh, if you've got a uh, ESV, I think NIV, that's better uh, rendered as a scroll, because that's what it was. It, you understand, they didn't go to the library to get a book, these were scrolls. There was a book written within and on the backside, which is basically a scroll that would have been uh, several inches long and written on the front and the back, which is, was rare in that day. Uh, what they would do is they would sew them together. So if you had like the book of Jude uh, or Philemon, those would have probably fit on one scroll, the front of it. But as they got longer, they would sew them together and roll them up. But what's interesting is that on the other side of the paper, the way it was created, it was actually rough on the other side. So they didn't write on both sides of the paper. So that's something we shouldn't miss here, and I'll tell you why in a minute. It was written on the backside, and then sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book, the scroll, and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, and neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. When it says that he wept much, that's, uh, that's the Bible phrase, that's King James talk for man sob. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like man sobbing, like, like from the gut kind of bawling your eyes out, bawling like a baby. And it's intriguing to me, and had been for a long time, like what on earth would make him bawl like a baby in heaven? Maybe the first time tears were ever in heaven, certainly the first time it was ever recorded that there were tears in heaven, unlike Eric Clapton's <laughs> erroneous claim. This is what he was talking about. What would it have that made him to do this? And I think, I hope you, you, can, you can track with me on this. Um, if not, we, it's recorded, you can go back <laughs> and get it, because I'm about to dump a bunch of information on you, but it's, it's critical. I wouldn't do this if I didn't think it was, uh, was critical, that we, even to our understanding of what it is that God is doing even today, this week. 
when I look at what happened with the, the Supreme Court this week, when I look at what happened with the fact that every time I tweet, I'm fairly positive NSA is hashtagging my tweets now. I mean, I don't know what's going on in the world. There's a different place that we're living in right now. And it makes me a little uncomfortable. And so I see this, and here's John in heaven. He looks at the scroll, and he's like weeping, man-sobbing, wondering what in the world's going on. And I think to understand it, you have to understand what a two-sided scroll was in Bible days. If you were to purchase a piece of land on the uh, scroll would have been the contract. If you've uh, bought a home recently, you know that you basically have signed, I mean, I, I just ran out. At some point, you're just, it's like the AOL user agreement. You're just like, I don't know, yep, 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 just sign it, I don't even know. But in this day, it was like a scroll that was written on it and you would sign on it and it would be rolled up and, and then sealed with the person that owned the, the land. It couldn't be opened except for by the person that owned the land. There's references to this in the Old Testament, Jeremiah being one when he was uh, in jail for the prophecy that he had uh, given against uh, Babylon, that he, uh, he, was, uh, he was told by the Lord to buy a piece of land from his cousin, which he did. And he, he's in jail. He knows that, that uh, King Nebi is coming to take over, and he still buys the land because he knows that inside of 70 years, the Lord's word is true that he would return and he would be able to, he'd be the only one that could open that seal because it was his land afterwards. It's a picture that we don't have time to get into, but if you uh, have the wherewithal this week, it's in the book of Jeremiah, it's a fascinating picture for us of even Daniel's 70th week and what all that means. But be that as it may, to understand what this scroll, this two-sided scroll would be, we got to go to the beginning. And, and not like the beginning of Revelation, but like the beginning in the book of Genesis. So if you've already got your Bible open in Revelation, close it and then reopen to the front side and you'll find it. You're like, Darren, this is awesome. The two easiest books in the Bible to find. Nailed it. In the beginning, verse one of Genesis one, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You remember this passage, right? From church, your kid, maybe last week. That word for without form and void is Hebrew, tohu ba vohu. That is the Hebrew phrase for without form and void. Tohu bavohu. This is intriguing to me. Because that word, in fact, in the Septuagint, in other translations that are not the Christian version of the Old Testament, it actually says became tohu bavohu. That's the translation was that it became form and without void. Intriguing, isn't it? And maybe it's why, and you don't have to turn there, you could write it and go later, I'll, I'll just read it for you. Maybe that's why in Isaiah 45, verse 18, the prophet declared that, thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, and that word in the Hebrew is tohu ba, it's actually, I'm sorry, that's a V, ba bohu. It's actually tofu, the new uh, dinner from Swanson. Um, <laughs> the new tofu dinner. Tohu bavohu. Vabohu. I'm getting it wrong. I'm sorry. Our air conditioner went out in our house last night, so I'm a little on edge right now. Slow roast. 
Well played, spiders. We've got to go to the basement where it's cool. The only place in the house is cool where the spiders live. Well played to the brown recluse spiders at the Tyler house. <laughs> you're, I know what you're up to. You're sucking us into your deadly trap, but we won't. No. Um, so we might be crashing on a lot of your couches this week. Um, tohu wa bohu. <laughs> I'm from Nebraska. Give me, you know, I'm sorry. We're getting within close. If you're striking distance of it. I don't want my, my lack of uh, ability to enunciate this morning to distract from the idea that in one place he says I created it uh, without form and void, and the other place he says I did not, I, mean, I, I created it form without void, and the other one he says I didn't. And I think that maybe, just maybe, and look, you don't have to agree with this assessment of it. You know, I, I encourage you to be Berean about it and to look into it for yourself, but maybe, just maybe, that the Lord, between verse one and verse two, Jesus would say, to Satan in Luke 10, 18, behold, behold I, I beheld you as lightning falling from heaven. Then maybe that between verse one and verse two, that as Satan was thrown from heaven and thrown to the earth, that the earth became without form and void. And maybe that explains the fossil record that everybody is all up in arms about. I don't know. But for what this purposes of our conversation, if this is what happened and it became without form and void, maybe that explains why in Genesis 1 verse 26, when he told Adam one of his jobs was to have dominion, King James, subdue the earth. What was it that you would need to subdue if there were no brown recluse spiders? What, what, you know, if, if the snakes weren't poisonous, if the bears weren't attacking you, if you could actually really uh, have a Diet Coke with a polar bear like the Coke commercial suggests. Incidentally, did you know that polar bears are left-handed? I didn't know that till this week. It's, it's free information for you. What would you need to subdue? Except for that there was an enemy that had been released from heaven that was somewhere, and clearly he was on the earth because he would come to Eve and tempt her and deceive her. And what would happen in this exchange is that Satan would come to Adam and Eve in the garden and say, you can eat from all of these. In Genesis 3, you might remember. Any tree in the garden you can, but this one, he doesn't want you to eat from it because he knows that it'll make you like him. Because he knows, didn't he say this? And it's what Satan's trick throughout history has been to twist the word just enough. But the tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any of them but that. And I was thinking about that and chewing on it, but the knowledge of good and evil is the ability to decide what is right and what is wrong. I'm deciding what is good and what is evil. Which incidentally is, since before earth, since before time began, was, was Satan's plan in Isaiah 14. You don't have to turn to these if, just for the sake of time, but if you want to write them and go there later, if you've got your little fancy uh, uh, little electric Bibles, they'll get you faster. But this is, this is a, a prophecy about what Satan said. And, and hang with me, I'm gonna, put a, I'm gonna weave this together. You're thinking like, Darren just dumped, a, you just dumped like a box of Legos and telling us to go to work, kind of. But I'm gonna put this in a place where I hope that you can take it home and then 
and see for yourself if, if this fits with the, uh, what you believe about the Lord or might open some ideas or answer some questions. But about Satan, he says to him, that you've said in your heart that I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne, verse 13, above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. What Satan wanted was to be equal with God. The knowledge of good and evil means that I get to say what is good and evil and what, make no mistake, what I am saying is I am equal with God because I am deciding what is right and what is wrong, not God. In another vignette, a prophecy that would talk of Satan is Ezekiel 28, and he says in verse 17 that your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, and I cast you to the ground, and I exposed you before kings. Pride was the sin that drove him to want to be equal with God. This is hard to spell, apparently, but also the story of mankind. Because when I exalt myself to want to be like God, to decide what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, I'm not very good at it. Understanding that in in Germany, everything Hitler did was legal. Nothing was illegal because it was his laws, their laws. He decided that this was right and what was wrong. Everything that the NSA has done that we've got everybody up in arms the last couple weeks, that's all legal. Congress signed off on it. We voted for him. But it's legal. But I'm deciding what is right and what is wrong as a human, and I'm saying to God that I know better than you because, look, I, this is how I feel. This, I feel like I was created like this, and so how could you possibly have done this? And I, I'm now saying that I know more than God, and I am doing what Satan did. I'm saying that, look, while I appreciate everybody's enthusiasm about an unborn baby, eh, half of our country would say that that law, more than half, says that the law should stand. Because when we start to decide what is right and what is wrong, we make terrible decisions. We're making them pragmatically. We're making them on, well, what, you know, what kind of life would that kid have? So let's just off him. And 55 million babies in America in the last 40 years have been aborted because we've decided we wanted to be full of pride and we wanted equality with God. If your marching orders, if your anthem is pride and equality, be very, very careful. And that doesn't just include the homosexual agenda. That includes all of us. That when I exalt myself to above the knowledge, what is it that, that, uh, that Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 2? Cast down imaginations, anything that would exalt itself above the knowledge of Christ. But it was pride then, and it's pride now, and what that says to me is that because of Adam's pride, because he bought into this idea of being equal to God, because he said, man, if, 
Eve was deceived, make no mistake about it. She was deceived, but Adam was rebellious because he knew. And maybe, maybe, he looked at Eve and thought, oh no, you're condemned. I could never live without you because I feel this way about you. And so I, how, would, how is it possible that God could have created this and then he wants me to live and not be happy without you and chose her over him? Maybe. And in doing so, deciding the good and evil, that I'm now the boss and I get to decide what he, in, what he did, in essence, was sign over his dominion, his subduing of the earth, signed it over to Satan. Signed over the title deed to earth to Satan. And sin entered the world and changed everything. When Jesus was taken to the top of a mountain by Satan, well, he was being tempted, Satan said, look over all of this. I'll give you, if you'll just bow to me, I will give this all to you. And Jesus' response was to quote the word, but what, it's an interesting sidebar. Many of us are confused. We think that if I just quote scripture at Satan, that that will make him flee. But he didn't quote it. He submitted to the scripture. Different. You can quote to your blue in the face. That's a magic incantation. That is not following Jesus. If you submit to the scripture, submit to what God said, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. But Jesus didn't say, oh, no, no, this is not even yours to give, Satan. Nice try. He didn't say that because it was his to give. And what he was offering was Jesus a shortcut. You don't have to go through all this uh, cross thing. I'll just give it to you now. Join me on the dark side, Luke. You are my son, the whole dark side thing. And Jesus said, no, 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 it is written. He would be referred to, Satan is referred to as the prince of the power of the air, the God of this earth. Because in this day and age that we live in, Satan is still the prince of the power of the air, the God of this earth, but not for long. Because that, I suggest to you, is the scroll that Paul is look, or John is looking at here in Revelation 5 and said, nobody is worthy to open this scroll. And he wept. And he wept, I suggest, because he looked around the world that he was in and thought, we're hosed. We are cosmically hosed. Because it's going to be like this forever. A day when his brothers and sisters would have been hauled off and, and burned alive and massacred and tortured. And he himself is banished to this island. And he looks and says, it's going to be like this forever. And I can look at the earth right now and say, I, I could weep because it's going to be like this forever. It feels like it's never going to change. Diseases. When I was growing up, we never heard about things like Alzheimer's. We heard about things like smallpox. Measles, polio, which had been defeated. And, but isn't it interesting that what happens is, is one disease is defeated and another one pops up in its place. Do you remember growing up and ever hearing about gluten allergies? And it's not because people are making up a new one. It's a new thing that's mutating in the earth because we will not on this side of heaven subdue that part of the earth. That is Satan's, the prince of the power of the air. And until Jesus comes and opens this scroll, that's a part of it. We will defeat one disease and another one will pop up. Poverty. 
It's everywhere. It's rampant. We, Jesus never told us to go fight poverty, and I believe the reason was is because that's just a symptom of the fall. That doesn't mean, listen to me, does not mean that it's an excuse to not do anything. Because when we go to Guatemala and we spend time with these families, I'm giving them a, a glimpse of what Eden once was and a glimpse of what heaven one day will be. And in the meantime, <laughs> it was never about them anyway. It's Jesus hammering my pride and my desire to be equal with him and to remind her that, oh, no, no. And we get to love on him and we'll continue to do that and our church will continue as long as I'm here to help those that are the least of these brothers of mine. But we can't fix all the poverty. We can't fix it. Because we're not smart enough because we're not worthy to open the scroll. We can't buy back the earth. We can't change that. The wars, I mean, it's everywhere. Remember World War One, the war to end all wars, and World War Two until that one. Well, then, then now the, the next one will be okay. Well, now, 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 now the next one will. And meanwhile, Africa is plunging into the Islamic tide of war and destruction. And I wonder what, what's happening. And I, obviously, I could go on. Like, dear, oh, we know we've been here. We know you can. But he would say, the, the elder would look to John and say, in verse five, and then one of the elders said to me, weep no more, weep not. If there's a job of an elder, isn't that a great one? To comfort those who are hurting. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Lion of the tribe of Judah. He said, that's the guy. He's there. He was referring to a prophecy in Genesis 49 where Jacob would look to his son Judah and say, you are a whelp and a lion. And talks about that the scepter will not pass until Shiloh has come, which is one of the variations of the word Messiah, Mashiach. Until he comes, the scepter will not pass from the throne, meaning that their authority as a nation, as an independent nation, would not pass until they come. There would be a time when there would be weeping in Jerusalem before this happened to John, when he was looking for, they were looking for Shiloh. The, the story is told of rabbis in 12 AD that would, they were wandering through the streets, wailing and tearing their clothes, because, because why? Because Rome had decided that these Jewish people that they had uh, conquered. R Rome would allow you a certain amount of autonomy as long as you behaved well and got along with others. And Israel up until that point had some autonomy, not the least of which was capital punishment. The Noahic covenant there in Genesis 9, give me a chapter two, one, one or the other way, or two chapters, talks about that if you kill somebody in the Noahic covenant that you, we will kill you back. It, capital punishment was an incredibly important part of the scepter of the power of government of the Israeli people, the Jewish people, and Rome said, we're taking it all away today. And they walked through the streets and wept because Shiloh had not come and the scepter had passed. 
because they had lost their autonomy, they'd lost their power to govern, power for capital punishment, power to say what is right and what is wrong. And it's a, you know, this story is told in a couple of history books, Josephus, of them ripping and shredding their clothes because they're weeping because Shiloh had not come, but what they had not understood was that it was 12 AD and there was a little boy standing in a temple. Jesus said that he had grown in wisdom and in stature. Shiloh had come, they just didn't know it. He was there all along. Simeon was another guy that had waited for the coming of Messiah in Luke chapter two, verse 25. Simeon, by history, some history standards, was about 114 years old. It was said that he would not die until he saw the consolation of Israel, until Messiah had come, Messiah had come. That was the prophecy that Simeon had heard. And it said that he entered the, the temple in the spirit and that day he heard the whisper, Luke 2.25, that Messiah was coming. And I bet if I'm him, I'm waiting for the, the hooves or waiting for the hooves, the horses, the battle cry, the trumpet, the whole thing. And he turns around and there's a teen mom and her husband and a baby. But he didn't do what the rabbis did. He said, oh, that's not what I was thinking. But Messiah has come, and actually verse 225, it says, and then he said, I can depart in peace because I have he had faith that that was Messiah, that little baby. It looked nothing like what he thought it was going to look like, but there was Jesus right in front of him. And John, the elder says, weep not, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. In between verse six, the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as having just been slain. He turned around in the lion of the tribe of Judah and what he sees is lamb and in the Greek it's the diminutive which means it was a little lamb like Mary had a one. The lion of the tribe of Judah and he turns around and there's a little lamb. Weep not. And there's a, a picture in this. In fact, it's on the cross where Jesus was crucified. Above him, around him were people and all these things written above him. And, and something that day happened that was so profound, so powerful that it caused the Pharisees and the religious people to freak out. It caused Pilate to say, you know, what I have written, I have written. And it was this amazing prophecy fulfilled that happened right there and it was so awesome that I'm gonna wait till next week to tell you about it because we don't have time today, so you have to come back. But for today, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Was in that moment a lamb. And I think that the word of the Lord for us today is weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has come. It might not, he might not look right now what I thought he was going to look like. That job might not have been the one that I thought I was gonna get. That person might not be the one that I really 
thought was going to be my boss, but now here I am. This relationship might not be the best, and I'm trying, but look for Jesus because he's there somewhere. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. You could be like the rabbis and run around and wail and tear your clothes and freak out, or we could be like Simeon and say, ah, it's when I was thinking it was going to be but I can depart in peace because the lion of the tribe of Judah is in charge. He is worthy. Notice it didn't say who was willing to open the scroll. There have been plenty of them willing over the years. Plenty. Napoleon, Charlemagne, Chavez, Ahmadinejad, Reagan, Obama. They've all tried to open and by open, meaning, oh, if we do this, then we will eradicate poverty. If we do this, then everybody will be equal, and everything will work out, and we'll all be great. It didn't work because they're not worthy. And it won't work because you're not worthy. And so in the meantime, we are at war. Grab a weapon, stand a post, weep not. The battle rages. Do not forget this. The opposing whichever side you're on, political party, the leader of that, that's not your enemy. Satan is our enemy. They're hostages. And in what war do you shoot the hostages? In the meantime, we occupy until he comes. We carve out corners of the kingdom and we go forth and we be light in a dark world. We be salt and light. Jesus would say, don't, don't put your light under a bushel, but he says to open it up, put it on a, on a hill, and then he says, and then they will see your good works and, let, uh, and they will glorify God. Not glorify you, but glorify your Father in heaven. We were able to do some good work in Guatemala. That's our light shining, and when we prayed for the families that moved into those houses. They didn't glorify us, they glorified God in heaven. That's warfare. That is poking a dragon in the butt. Saying we're not going to stand by idly and we're going to fight the right war. The war of the kingdom. Truth, when I speak the truth, when you speak the truth, that's spiritual warfare. Because I'm declaring what Satan has said to be true as to being false. And understand, that's not going to be very popular. It's already not. This sermon could find its way onto YouTube and I could get all kinds of funny emails from the trolls on the internet. I could say something, something that I said 30 years ago could come up today and all of a sudden, I'm like, what? I just wanted to make some biscuits. What are you talking about? <laughs> I love biscuits. But the, the enemy wants us, when we speak the truth, when those things happen, it's a reminder that I've got to be really careful because I can't be. Speak truth in love. Weep not. The whole the line of the tribe of Judah has come. He is the only one worthy. And until that day... And I promise you it's coming. 
We will be there. We'll see it. He'll open the scrolls. The earth will be returned to the way that it was meant to be. We'll build a little campfire and we'll tell war stories and sing folk songs like they do on The Hobbit. I'm just kidding. Well, maybe, I don't know. But today, in your own lives, you might not be scared of what's going on in the government because you've got so much right in front of you. Because your own life is a mess. Maybe it's choices you made or maybe it's not. You know, you go to your insurance, they call it an act of God when a, a disaster hits your home. It's not an act of God, it's an act of what happens in a fallen world that's been signed over to somebody else and maybe that's happened in your life and maybe these circumstances that have been beyond your control and you think, what is happening to me? I don't understand, it's not fair. And I'm saying there is a scroll somewhere that is written on two sides and on the other side where those seven seals are is there's only one person that can open it and when he does, it's all gonna be okay. Love and justice is, it is not an incongruent idea. There will be justice on that day and there will be mercy as well. They are not incongruent with each other. And in the meantime, we can occupy until he comes. You feel trapped in your circumstances this morning. You feel like, I can't get out of this. This job I'm in, I, can't, I, I want to do this other thing and I can't because I can't. I have this mortgage and I feel trapped. I feel jailed. I feel... Look for Jesus. A jail and an incubator feel exactly the same. But their purposes are completely different. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Paul, he wouldn't have sat still long enough to write books of the Bible. God probably had to let him get thrown in jail just so he'd sit still long enough so he could write 1 Corinthians, Colossians, and Ephesians. Where is Shiloh? He's here. I promise you he's here. Look for him. And in faith you can say, I'm getting up from my knees today and I'm not going to weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, a lamb that was slain, just slain. And we'll talk about that next week too. There's an interesting, in that language, it's completely fascinating. The lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, the lamb that had just been slain. It seems like, well, next week. We're gonna gonna worship just a little bit here. I'm, I'm cognizant of the time. The truth is, is your kids are doing tie-dye today. They're not done yet anyway. And they might get to need a shower when they get home. What is the... What is the circumstance? What are the people? What is it that's happening on the grand scale and on the small scale, on the macro and on the micro in your life. I would challenge you today and understand if you're in grief or I always get frustrated when I hear somebody use this line when someone has, uh, has passed away. Well, you know, it's bad news for us, but good news for them. I know that, but it sucks because I lost them. The Bible doesn't say we don't weep. It just says we just don't weep as those who have no hope. No one ever apologized for crying or weeping when someone has passed away. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is if you feel hopeless in your circumstance today, whether it's your career, your relationships, or your just the life that you think you found yourself in. Maybe you think, man, I, there's a time in my life when I should have went right and I went left and here I am. I'm trapped. 
Shiloh has come. Mashiach. And he loves you so much that he can take even your dumb decisions and make them awesome. He can take the broken pieces of your life, even if you broke them, and put them back together. And he will. Weep not. The enemy would like nothing more than for us to paralyze ourselves in fear and in anguish and build a compound out back of my house and bury weapons and wait. There's absolutely zero preference in scripture or uh, proof in scripture we should ever do anything like that. We don't have to be afraid. We march forward in love with the gospel, waiting for Messiah. Lord, would you uh, show us today your, show us you. Is it the lamb in our life? Is it a little baby? Is is it a 12-year-old kid? Where where are you, Messiah? in our lives right now in what part of the circumstance are you and I just don't see it would you show me today and until I see it I can have faith and trust in you today I can get myself all worked up about tomorrow you said don't take any thought for tomorrow tomorrow's got worries of its own but today I'm seeking you Lord now and would All of us do that today to seek you, your kingdom, your righteousness. It's in your name that I pray, amen. We're gonna have...